Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze, and today I have a very special guest. I mean, all my guests are cool, you know, and I I can say I've developed some really cool friendships and and, uh, associations, but today is extra special. What if you were working with a partner who worked in a communist Asian country to rescue girls out of human sex trafficking? Would you want to know more? Well, today we're going to find out. I want to welcome Brad Hop to the show. Welcome, Brad. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of give my audience a little bit of an introduction. I live on an acreage in Iowa and I have uh, six kids uh, from 21 and married with a, um, a grandson now and uh, all the way down to one year old. I'm almost two. And uh, uh, my wife runs our printing business and I delivered fire trucks up until April, uh, up until January of this year, and a strong Christian, uh, born and raised in the Lutheran Church, and actually had some really neat experiences here twenty some years ago, and, and met a man who led me back to the Lord, uh, and really helped me deepen my relationship with Him, and it's just been a wild ride ever since. How did you meet this partner, and how did you guys, how did you get involved in um, the? Uh, human trafficking industry and trying to get these girls out. My partner had actually come to our church and spoken a couple times. I really liked what he was doing and and wanted to take part of it. And what is it that your partner actually does? He actually works with the underground church uh, in a communist country in in Asia. Uh, He also works amongst the upper villages. Uh, And then here a few years ago, he had started a restaurant and that restaurant has actually led to some connections where he actually was able to come in and, and begin working with getting girls out of the sex trafficking, out of the sex trafficking in this country. What has been some of the uh, perils that he has faced in working in that kind of an industry? One of the things that happened was that he, uh, they had rescued a young lady. Uh, she, through a, the typical grooming techniques that they use, um, believed that her brothel owner was, or her pimp was her boyfriend and he really loved her and that he cared about her. So when they rescued her and got her out, she's not, nobody has ever held against her will. If the girls want to go back, they can. But anyway, she ended up going back because she thought that her pimp was in love with her. So when she went back, he beat the crap out of her and she pretty quickly realized, no, he doesn't love me. It was just a, a sexual perverted relationship. And so she went back to the Bible school that my partner runs uh, in this country and uh, the guy followed her. And then he went back to get some of his corrupt buddies that are in the police department and, and others to come help him bust up uh, the Bible school facility that my friend runs. Fortunately, my friend has an unknown benefactor uh, somewhere high up in the police department in this particular town who is friendly to my partner and, and unbeknownst to my partner. My partner doesn't know who he is. Apparently, this police officer is, is uh, fairly high-ranking and fairly friendly to what my, my partner is working with or doing. And he sent people to arrest my, my partner for his own protection. And what that did was it did a twofold. It got everybody out of the building. So that when the guys got back there to bust up the facility, there was nobody there. Uh, 
and they got my friend into protective custody into the, the jail. Well, he didn't know what was going on. He was like, oh, great, you know, here I am sitting in this jail. And um, about midnight that night, they came in and they extricated him from the building through the back door. And he's like, nothing ever comes out of a, out of a jail in this particular country out the back door in a good situation. And so they put him in a car, an unmarked car, and took him to a, a hotel and put him up for the evening. And then the next day they, they uh, released him and, and got him into safety. And so. How do you set up a Bible school in a communist Asian country? Isn't the fact that, that a country is communist, wouldn't that be antithetical to a Bible school? It is. And you have to do it very, um, they don't, they don't have them in marked buildings. They're usually in houses or, or small, smaller unmarked buildings that just blend in with the, in with the uh, surroundings. So it's basically unknown. Right. Right. That's where, that's how the underground church has thrived in these countries. You know, a lot of your Southeast Asia, a lot of your Asian countries, the underground church is actually very vibrant and very alive and very powerful. And, but they do it underground. I mean, they just, they blend in with their facility or in with their surroundings and, in some ways, may make us look pathetic. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, I can. And, and, I'm, and I'm not trying to be derogatory towards the American church because we have a lot of blessings and, and we can practice our faith out in the open and stuff. But these people are so hungry and so thirsty for the word of God that, that when they have a guest minister come in, the guest minister will ask him, you know, Pastor, how long do you want me to preach? And, and half an hour, an hour, what? and the pastor looks at him and goes, really? That's no, you're going to preach for eight hours. And literally, and they, they will church for over eight hours. They are that hungry because they can't get the Bibles. And, and they're like, no, we want you. And we don't want you to just come and preach today for eight hours. We want you here tomorrow and we want you here the day after. So we want you to bring the word to us. And we, we are hungry for it. We want the word so deeply and so much that we, we want you to preach for eight hours a day. That is a a very strong conviction for the American church who, I mean, we go with the church and then we're like, okay, yeah, okay, we got two hours and then we got to be out at this time because then you got to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. Well, unless you're in a denomination and the pastor's allowed to preach for 15 minutes. My brother's a Lutheran pastor and, and I know full well that people start getting upset if he preaches over 15 minutes. We're Sunday Christians. We don't, we don't pursue God and and honestly, that scares me a little bit because if we don't pursue God when everything is going well, how much is he going to be there when things are not going well? Wow. Wow. So what else do we need to know about the underground church in this area? Their stamina must be incredible to be able to sit under teaching for eight hours straight. I guess I, I look at it this way. You go back to Paul when, when Paul is preaching and he's preaching way, 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 way late into the night. And this young man is sitting there and he falls into slumber, uh, sitting in the windowsill of this, of this house they're, that they're in. And he falls out and falls two stories and, and dies. And, and Paul goes down there, raises the kid from the dead, and they keep on preaching. They didn't even bat an eye on it. And, you know, it's just like, I think that when you're, when you're under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and when, when, when the Holy Ghost is moving in, in that kind of a, a, a setting, and you have people that are passionately hungry for the Holy Spirit and hungry for God and hungry for the word, it time doesn't matter to them almost. So how did your partner 
get started in rescuing these these girls out of such a hellacious situation? When he went into this country, he started a restaurant to get to know people and and to really kind of be able to mix in and blend in with the the community and stuff. And and they were right next door to a sixteen thousand student uh, university. Uh, and so that gave him a tremendous in while well, he had a, uh, a young lady that had come in for, for an application to start working for him at the restaurant and stuff. And, and he said, okay, you know, take the application, fill it out and, and come back on Saturday and stuff. And we'll, we'll meet at nine o'clock and we'll have an interview. And nine o'clock came and went, 10 o'clock came and went, 11 o'clock came and went. She wasn't there. 12 o'clock, she finally shows up. And, and my, my partner said, you know, if you want to get a job, that's not the way to do it. He wasn't going to hire her. He'd already decided that, but uh, he serves a God and we serve a God that can still speak into our lives and stuff. And, and he really felt like the Holy Ghost said, no, I want you to interview her and I want you to hire her. So he ended up hiring her. Well, she brought another friend on on board on the restaurant and they both started working there. Well, somehow these girls knew a brothel owner and they knew some girls that worked in, in a brothel over there, which their brothels are actually karaoke clubs. That's their cover. Prostitution is illegal in this country, but the the way they get around it is they have these these karaoke clubs that everybody knows are are really brothels. One of the girls that worked for my partner uh, asked the brothel owner if he wanted to meet an, uh, an American that spoke his language, and uh, he said, "Yeah, I've never even been American, let alone one that can speak my language." They sat down, and and uh, my partner was able to take the gentleman through the gospel and, and they got to know each other and built a relationship. And, and through that relationship, like I said, he was able to share the gospel with this gentleman and, and the gentleman was convicted of his sin and, and repented of his sin and then released all the girls that he quote unquote owned uh, or controlled for his brothel and um, which was about 20 some girls. And so then over time, this gentleman, he also owned like the typical American mafia they don't just have their illegal businesses. They also have legitimate uh, cover businesses, you might say. And so this gentleman had the same deal where he had a tea farm and he had a coffee farm and, and some other stuff. And he's actually working with the girls to help him process tea, help him process coffee. Uh, and he's also setting them up with a tea shop there in this country. But then he also has, he has teamed up with my partner to be kind of the go-between and, and help get because he still knows a lot of the brothel owners in this country. And so he helps get them distracted while my partner and his team go in and rescue the girls. Once a girl is rescued, what is done with them or what is the process from there? They, they come into the rescue and rehab house that my partner has set up. Currently we have 19 girls and two staff living in a 2,300 square foot house. Uh, so needless to say in the bedrooms, there's bunk beds everywhere. And because prostitution is illegal in this country, if the state comes in and, and let's say one brothel owner is made mad by another brothel owner, the one that is upset may go to the police and say, hey, Joe Smith has a, has a brothel over here and, and the police will come in and bust it up. Well, and then what they'll do is they'll release the girls. So yeah, they're, they're free, but they're not given an education. They're not given medical or, or physical or emotional or spiritual care. They're, they're given nothing. They're just basically let go and told to fend for themselves. Well, so what my partner has done is, is they, they bring the girls into this rescue and rehab house and they don't just turn them loose and say, here you go. They get them an education because a lot of these girls are way behind on their education. Some of them are as young as 11. Uh, my partner actually carried an 11 year old out of the brothel one night and drunk off her butt. 
is so some of these girls are extremely young. They get them an education. They get them clothing. They get them food. They get them shelter. They get them uh, medical need uh, or medical care if they need it. Because a lot of these girls will have STDs and stuff. And, and as my partner said, you know, fortunately we haven't we haven't run across anybody yet that that they've rescued that has AIDS or something that's not curable. So everything that they've been able to, everything they've dealt with so far has been curable. So they get them the medical care, they get them the emotional and spiritual care that they need, you know, because you're talking a lot about a lot of emotional damage and a lot of damaged psyches and stuff. And so they, they take the girls through a lot of the human stages that we can deal with, but then ultimately it also comes down to the power of Christ and, and his redemptive power and his, his restorative power. What if the girls are pregnant, which is highly possible by these brothel owners? What happens at that point? My partner and his team give them counseling. They strongly encourage them not to have an abortion, but if the girls choose to go through with that, they're not going to stop them, and, but they are going to give them counseling pre and post, but they do strongly encourage the girls not to. Uh, they've had four girls that have been in, in their rescue and rehab house that have been pregnant. Two of them chose to keep their babies and two of them chose not to. All four of them were like, I'm going to have this constant reminder, you know, that of the life that it was and, 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 you know, this constant reminder of how I was raped and how I was, you know, all the treated poorly and everything else. And so two of them chose not to keep their babies and, and they're, they're healing, but their healing is not as fast and is not as, as strong as the two that chose to keep their babies because of the healing power and the restorative power of our God, because they, the girls that they chose to keep their babies can look at this child and say, yes, I was there. Yes, I was raped. Yes, I was molested. Yes, I was abused. Yes, all these bad things happened, but the power of God has delivered me and he's, he's given me this child. And, and this child is now to me, a symbol of his deliverance and his redeeming grace and his redeeming power. Have any girls gone through the process and then gone out on their own? And if so, how long on average is that taking? It takes as long as it needs to. There isn't really a set formula as to how long the girls stay in our in our rescue and rehab house. You know, as I said, some of them are really young. So obviously we're not going to just let them back out onto the streets. Uh, we have had one girl uh, that graduated from the program and, and, and has gone on and married a wonderful young man. And they are, I think if I remember right, they already have a child and, and have a, have a wonderful marriage. It really uh, is up to the staff and up to the girls as to how long they stay in the rescue and rehab house. How do you select your staff? My partner could actually go through this a lot better than I can, but he goes through and, and they have, they have to go through background checks. They have to go through, you know, a lot of different, checks you might say and they really have to know the lord they really have to have a heart for god and they do have a training program set up for the staff the two girls that originally uh helped us get this brothel owner born again they actually um went through they expressed an interest to my partner and said you know we we have this this is on our heart we want to see these girls come out of the out of prostitution and out of the brothels and stuff. A lot of them are there against their will and stuff. And we really want to see this, see this be a mission uh, here. And, and so my partner arranged to get training for them and, and stuff. And, and so they were really the catalyst for this whole thing. Are the police aware that your partner is rescuing these girls? I mean, are they aware of this? I think somewhat. We don't know for sure. 
part of it comes back to that just like any country, you're going to not every police official in every country is corrupt. You can look at Chicago, for example, right here in America, you know, go back to the 30s, 40s, 50s, even today, you know, you have corrupt cops that are on the take from the mobs and, and, and yet you have above board and, and integritous men of honor that are still in there and, and still fighting the good fight. And, and so the same holds true in this country too. You know, they have, they have some, some officers that are aware, but because of their position, they, they do have to stay kind of quiet because it's better if they just keep quiet a little bit and work undercover, you might say. You mentioned the tea shop. And so you have started a, uh, a store, correct? Right. Can you tell us a little bit about that? When I first looked at this, I, my, my partner was, you know, we were already friends on Facebook and, and, uh, he had posted some pictures of some of the bracelets that the girls were making and stuff. They make coasters, uh, handmade bracelets. Uh, they roast coffee and harvest coffee and process it and do all that. And they also harvest and process tea leaves and, and roast them. But at the time he was just showing some of the pictures of some of the bracelets and, and kind of offering them here or there on Facebook and nothing real out there and, and everything. So, so I was looking at it and going, you know, this would be a, I could import these and, and this would be a good opportunity. I have six kids or, you know, five kids still at home and I want to be able to be at home more full time and, and not have to be on the road delivering fire trucks. And, and this would be a good way for me to do that. And so initially I was just thinking, you know, this will be just my little business and, and I'll just do whatever. And as time progressed and, and moved along, we got more into it. And, and then when I decided to leave fire truck delivery in January, it was like, okay, I need to get really get serious about this. And so I talked to my partner and said, hey, you know what? This is what I'm thinking. And I want this to be a partnership. And I want us to buy the products from the girls and then then have this be a partnership that blesses both of us and, and work together on this. And uh, so actually what happened is uh, a majority of our profits actually go back to the rescue and rehab house. And so we're importing the tea, the coasters, the bracelets, and the coffee from the girls. And that gives them economic empowerment. It gives them the opportunity to make money. And we don't negotiate with the girls. We just say, what do you want on you know, what do you want on the bracelets? What do you want on the coffee? What do you want on the, the everything here? And and then we bring them over here and we, we um, uh, resell them over here. And the majority, like I said, of our profits go back to the rescue and rehab house to provide for the care. And you have a lot of monthly expenses. I mean, imagine having to pay the expenses for 19 people and two staff. You know, you have food, you have lights, you have water, you have clothing, you have medical care, you have all this stuff and rent and, and everything else. So there's a lot of expense there. And so we also have on our, on our tissue a tea page, we have a donations page that people can go on to if they want to directly donate right to the, the rescue house. As I said, that side doesn't benefit the girls. It, it does directly help them because it still helps provide for all their needs too. So um, the name, the name tissue, I want to kind of hit on that a little bit. It's, it's actually spelled T E S H. U A H and then uh, T E A dot com is the website. The name is is a lot of people go, well that reminds me of the word Yeshua in Hebrew. And that's because it is a Hebrew word. My wife and my daughter and I were sitting around one night and I'm like, man, I need to come up with a name for this tea company. And I just I'm not hitting on anything. I really it really goes, yes, I really like this. You know, I wanted something in the in the liberty uh, freedom, deliverance, 
something that in that vein that really expressed the idea of the business being something that was bringing deliverance and, and healing and, and freedom to these girls and not, not just a general freedom, but a freedom in Christ, you know, because that's ultimately you can be free physically and, and emotionally and spiritually or physically and emotionally and psychologically. But if you don't have spiritual freedom, you're really not free. And so I really wanted something that captured that, but yet at the same time, wasn't just Christianese over the top in your face. And so I started looking at other languages. And so I looked at the Hebrew. The word Teshua is actually the word for deliverance. I just went on a Google translator and, and typed in deliverance and, and Teshua came up. And I'm like, you know what? I really like that. And um, so I sent it to my partner and, and he sent me back a bunch of funny characters and, and uh, the word broken down phonetically. And it was te and shu and uh. And I'm like, okay, what's this, what's this mean? You know? And, and he said, well, that's the that's the word Teshua broken down phonetically in this, in this language, uh, in the country that I'm in. And, um, he said the word Teshua means special tree. It's, it's Tem means special, Shu means tree. And, uh, is the emphasis at the end of the sentence. And I went, yes, that, that I, you could not, I, you could have bowled me over with a, uh, that is the name of the business. And, and I'm just like, man, that's just amazing because, it captures everything about the business that our deliverance only comes through the cross of Christ. This language has the gospel written throughout it in symbol after symbol, after symbol, after symbol. The gospel is written in this communist country. The gospel of Jesus Christ is written in their language. For example, the name or the word for ship is if you break it down and you were to look at the symbology or the, 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 the symbol that they use for the word ship, it's actually a couple different words. It's actually the word for mouth, and, and then it's the word for eight, and then it's the word for boat. So the, the picture for ship is eight miles on a boat. And if you think back to the story of Noah, if you think back to the story of Noah, you have Noah and his wife, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives on a boat eight miles on a ship or eight miles on a boat. And that's their word for ship. The word for covet is, is the symbol for a woman and the symbol for two trees. It's the story of, of Eve in the garden of Eden and the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil and the tree of the, of, of life. It's written right there in their language. When my partner is ministering to people in this country, all he has to do is go to their own language and just show them the pictures. And he can share the gospel using their, their own language in a communist country. Okay, that is seriously cool. That is like seriously. Talk about God uh, uh, making a statement and going, I don't care what you say. I am going to get the message of my son and his cross into people, even if the enemy wants to keep them blinded. Thousands of years before this country became a communist country. Talk about foreknowledge. I mean, the knowledge of God, you know, he knew, he chose to know that this country is going to become a communist country and I'm going to write it right into their language. That is so cool. That is so cool. Okay. So, guys, the reason I wanted to bring Brad on, not to only to talk about what God is doing over in this country, but I wanted to make an announcement. And, you know, I heard about him and his partner on the Hagman and Hagman Report. And after talking to him and after some prayer, uh, Unresolved Life has chosen to partner with this ministry. 
what that means is essentially um, I'm going to be listing him as a partner um, on the page. You know, we are going to do everything we can to help him get the word out about this company and about what he's doing uh, to rescue these girls. Because come on, guys, isn't that the, the quintessential gospel? Really, we're we, you know we're called to rescue people out of captivity. Now, obviously, there's a spiritual, but then there are those that are just so evil and so wicked that they will prey on those that 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 do not have any way to find any kind of escape, and they will be abused and sexually molested, and it's just garbage. I mean, he he, you referred to a, a, an 11 year old girl, right? Yeah. So we're talking about kids, guys. You know, and I'm I'm sorry, but. You know, this is, you know, when God says, hey, get the gospel out and set the captives free, that's what we're called to do. And so that's why I have chosen, after talking to uh, uh, some, some, some people and talking to Brad, and I mean, we spent plenty of time on the phone, you know, just kind of hashing things out. And I have chosen to partner with this ministry. Now, you know, that may look like a, a few different things, but for right now, guys, when this goes live, there should be a page on Unresolve, and it should say partners. If you would go there, you will find uh, this company. You will find stories, and you will find their products, and you will find what this company is about. Go there and check out some of their stuff, and then go there and, and, and read some of the stories and let God convict you. What can we do to free more of these girls? Hmm? Brad, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what God does with this. I, I'm looking forward to seeing how we could, you know, what, what we could further, what we can do to further this thing. This isn't just an Asian problem. This isn't just a, a, a whatever problem. One thing that, that I hope to see happen from this is that I hope to see people here in America begin to wake up and go, what can I do locally? What can I do to rescue girls that this is happening to right here? Um, you know, because uh, I was talking to the producer of the Hagman Report, and, and he and I were talking about this whole deal. And one of the things that he said to me was that, you know, this he goes, everybody knows that, that a lot of the karaoke clubs in L.A. where he was originally from are the same as they are in Asia. They're really fronts for brothels. This is not just an Asian problem. And yeah, that, that setup of having a karaoke club very well may have gotten imported from, from Asia. But, you know, even as even when I was out delivering fire trucks, it's very common if you go into uh, truck stops to see um, Truckers Against Trafficking uh, logos here and there in truck stops. And because, you know, it, it is a, a rampant problem here in America, too. And people say that, oh, slavery doesn't exist anymore. Oh, slavery has gone away. No, it's not. If we as the church do not stand up, if we don't get a backbone and we don't stand up and we don't put a stop to this, then when Jesus, when we stand before Christ and he'll say, you knew and you didn't do anything, I don't want to be guilty for that. And I, and I know a lot of my listeners don't either. So let's, let's see what we can do to stop at least a portion of it, huh? So, hey, Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, as you know, at, would you be willing to come back as you get more really cool stories that, 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 that you find out about? Yeah. Cool. We'll have to make that happen. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life. 